to a special episode of The One in Five. I'm Adam Renshaw here with Abel Baker. Hello. Jennifer Magpie. Hello. And Dr. David Mark. Hi. So just a, a brief introduction. Uh, uh, David Mark is an MD. Um, Jennifer Magpie is an RN and has a master's degree in public health nursing. And we're here today to talk about a very serious issue in the coronavirus. What we wanted to do is just give our listeners the ability to have kind of a trusted source where sure. they can yeah. go. It's like one or the other, right? It's either extremely alarmist or it's extremely not alarmist. Yeah. It's this is a joke yeah. type of uh, information that's coming out. So we wanted to. Yeah, we wanted to, you know, if you guys could help us know how to squelch, get rid of the, 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 the white noise, focus on where we should be going for information and how we can sanely be prepared. Um, one thing to be mindful of is when people are scrolling Facebook or, or other social media sites um, and reading about information, where is the information coming from? You know, you want to make sure that you're looking to see if the information is coming from a credible source or a credible person? Is it coming from the CDC? Is it coming from Mayo Clinic? Um, okay. Or is it coming from my husband's cousin's dog? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I'm sure we're going to refer back to cdc.gov a number of times during this episode. Um, I know I myself was on there last night as Abel and I were on the phone talking to each other about this. And, um, and so I have been told that this cdc.gov is a reputable source for updating information about the coronavirus. Dr. Mark, can you speak to any other sources? Yeah, you can't get any more reputable than cdc.gov. Um, that's going to be the, the the best, most accurate across the world uh, for um, for any information related to to the nature of the virus, to how you can respond yourself, how you your organization can respond. Um, you know, our, my my kids are sort of being taught about how you search the internet for reliable information. And one of the rules of thumb that they're being taught by their teachers, which I think is reasonable, is that if it ends in .gov or .edu, in general, that's better. And um, so there's a lot of educational institutions um, that are reputable. One that, that is doing really super work relative to the coronavirus is Johns Hopkins. And, uh, and if you Google Johns Hopkins coronavirus map, it will get you to an interactive um, map where in real time the the number and distribution of cases, confirmed cases, and uh, those who have recovered from the virus, those who've, who've died as a result of the viral infection, um, is mapped, and you can see it in real time. Um, and it's a, it, it's a pretty compelling um, visual representation of the data. Um, Jennifer mentioned the Mayo Clinic. Absolutely, there's great, you know, some of the, the leading academic uh, research centers and hospitals um, across the nation are also good places to go. And finally, I would just call out your local public health department is a great place where you can get um, information that, that typically filters from CDC to the county, to the, well, to the state first and then the county health departments. And then it'll be, it'll be sort of tailored uh, to your local context. So it'll give you local information about where you can go and, and who to call and who to talk to. 
And for our listeners, we, we did mention on our podcast, our last podcast, that we were going to have Esther Wynn, our public nurse, in today to talk about this. And Esther is actually in a meeting right now um, talking about this very thing with higher and higher levels. So we, um, we brought uh, Dr. David Mark and uh, Jennifer Magpie in instead. But we will have Esther in... Tomorrow, tomorrow. Um, okay. after two o'clock, she said okay. she's available. And I think that that's a, a great way to, you know, make sure that people know who she is too and exactly. what she does. Great. Um, Jen, I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask was we had talked a little bit about the symptoms before of the coronavirus and maybe the, the difference between that and the flu. And is there a difference or do they present the same? They do present with very similar symptoms, um, respiratory cough, fever, um, and this is flu season. So a person could present with that or um, present with symptoms like early pneumonia. So it would be very difficult to distinguish in a person who is not far advanced and very ill. Okay. Many people right now are, and I, and I don't, know if they're doing it to say it's not that big of a deal or to try to frame it, but uh, they'll say, hey, this is, the flu is much more dangerous. Uh, Dr. Mark, you had said some things to kind of help put some context and put that in perspective. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, you know, what's more dangerous? And, and, and um, what we know is that um, the influenza, the flu as a virus, is a lot more prevalent lot more widespread worldwide there are you know there are millions of cases of influenza every year um, and so in some respects when you have millions of cases of one infection versus we currently have like 78,000 known cases of COVID-19 worldwide that's orders of magnitude different so you could say wow the flu is a lot more dangerous um, but then the next question to ask about how dangerous is it is, um, well, how, of the people who get infected, how many of them will, will die as a result of that infection? And so the mortality rate, how many people die when infected, is very different between the two viruses. So we have pretty um, good understanding of the mortality rate associated with influenza, and that's roughly 0.1%. 0.1% of the people who contract the flu every year will die. And so what that means is, you know, in the U.S. alone, there are thousands of flu deaths every year. Um, because it's sort of common and, and expected, we don't think much of it. Um, this novel coronavirus, the COVID-19, it, it seems like the mortality rate of people who get infected is between 2 and 3%. Um, that's that's uh, uh, amazing. I mean, that is a huge difference. Yeah, so it's 20 to 30 times more, what we'd say, virulent than influenza virus. But again, there are fewer people worldwide who've, who have thus far been confirmed to be infected with that virus. And so it translates into right now there's the death toll stands at like 20, 2,800 people worldwide have died as a result. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so in some respects, this this virus, the COVID-19, is more dangerous, right? It has a higher mortality rate. Uh, a few other important differences between the flu and the coronavirus is that with, with the flu, we have treatment for it. We can use Tamiflu 
as a, as a specific antiviral medication, which is effective in certain, a certain percentage of cases. We also have a vaccine, which is pretty good. Um, and so neither of those two options exist thus far with this coronavirus. So we don't have a specific viral treatment and we don't have a vaccine. Can you explain novel? Sure. Yeah. The, um, and you'll hear that term used, you know, and, and what it means is that every year there's, there are new viruses that, that are born that are, you know, that come into existence and spread. Um, so there are coronaviruses. There's a whole bunch of coronaviruses. We see coronaviruses every day here in rural Montana, not every day, but every season um, <laughs> and can diagnose them. So this, uh, however, is a new type of, of, of coronavirus. So in the coronavirus family, this is a, a new a new type that emerged. And the, the theory about how it came into being was that in in certain market, open-air marketplaces in, in, in China, there were, um, you know, various different kinds of animals, right? Fish and, and birds and, um, and mammals. And the, the thought was that some of these viruses that were spreading in animals, in in these different different species of animals, um, the virus changed, it mutated, so that it was contagious to humans, and you know presumably one of those shopkeepers who was selling mm. chickens, you know, got sick with with this virus, and anytime a new a novel virus emerges on the scene, some of the questions are: Will um, a, will it be really dangerous? Will it kill people? And we, we just talked about, yeah, this does result in a serious respiratory infection in two to 3% of, of the cases where people die as a result of it. Another really important question about a virus like that, a novel virus is, will, will a person be able to transmit that virus to another person? Or do you only get infected if you hang out with the chicken? Um, and it turns out, with this virus, it was found to be contagious from human to human. So documented human to human transmission. How do our immune systems, do they know the flu? I mean, is that true, Dr. Mark? Is that something that's, that's just kind of folk knowledge? Like we're, we have defenses against the flu virus and we have nothing against um, the coronavirus. Does that play at all too in, in regards to like, it coming over and it being a completely new thing for us to have, or is that kind of folk? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. The, the um, so as I mentioned, the coronavirus is a, is a family, and so there's uh, uh, you know probably all of us have been exposed to coronavirus. Okay. We've had it as a common cold. The, the what we don't know enough is like well, if you were infected with coronavirus A, you know, five years ago. Will your body's immune system remember that if it were encountering COVID-19? And I guess we, we don't have enough information. We just don't know. Okay. Mm -hmm. right. That's what and, I was kind of asking. And that's where the flu vaccine comes in. Because once you've, get, once you've been vaccinated with the flu vaccine, then that triggers an immune response should you can contract the flu. So we are in rural space here. Um, What's the best way a community like ours can respond to this kind of news or, um, at this stage even maybe. Yeah. Yeah. What good question. Yeah, that's, just, a, that's a great question. And I would say uh, there's a couple of things that, that are, that are important to keep in mind. The first is, um, that 
even though we're in a very rural and frontier part of the world, you know, we're, we're at least 10 or 20 miles away from China, I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, 10 or 20. probably. Okay. Something okay. like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Big miles, <laughs> Adam. Big, big miles. Big miles. Bigger ones. Okay. Uh -huh. So there's a, there's a tendency to think that we're protected, right? N nothing's going to come here. And, uh, and I would say point number one is that we're in an interconnected world right now. We live in a world where these there are no border viruses don't know borders they don't they don't they don't respect maps so they they go global and we have people even here in in the middle of rural montana who um have the potential to be exposed to people who've been exposed and you know who so this virus is going to spread so it's really not a question of of if the virus will get here you know it, it's it is possible that as the seasons change, as the temperatures get warmer, that the spread will, will peter off and we may not see many cases. But I think it's more useful to think about preparing that this is likely to happen. We're likely to see some cases of coronavirus in Montana. So that would be the, the first preparation to be just mentally, it's probably going to come here. We don't know how serious it's gonna be. We don't know how widespread it's gonna be. So it does make sense to be prepared. And um, to that end, what we see happening is, you know, our public health officials are meeting and they're talking about it and they're, they're making preparations. Um, and in, a, in an outbreak like this, some of those preparations um, are simply organizational. Like how are we going to communicate health, health, you know, health delivery system to another, you know, healthcare entity in that system? How are we going to know when it's here? How are we going to test for it? Who are we going to test for it? And then, you know, then there's a lot of logistical questions about what kind of preparations does a hospital or a health center make once we know that it's, that it's circulating in the community. Well, how are we going to, how, what are we going to do? How are we going to have effective systems of triage and taking care of patients and ensuring that our entire healthcare infrastructure doesn't get sick and out of commission? Right. So there's some, there's some, that really was a big concern. Uh, one of the things that they address on the CDC website is how, mm -hmm. um, health organizations yeah. are going to be dealing with this type of a thing. So one of the advantages of being in a rural space is that we, um, you know, we, we've talked about this before. We deal with the challenge of how do you provide care across a long distance? We use virtual care, we use telemedicine already. And when you think about it, that could be a really useful tool in caring for people who get sick with this virus. So if we can have the healthcare provider be hundreds of miles away, taking care of a of patient who presents at, a, at one of our clinical sites, then the likelihood of that virus infecting that physician or that nurse practitioner is pretty low. So thanks everyone for, for, uh, listening to this special coronavirus episode of the one in five um, we thank dr mark and jennifer magpie for sharing this value very valuable insight if you would like to reach us you can email us at the one in five podcast at icloud.com that's the number one i n number five podcast at icloud.com parting words dr mark jennifer magpie what can we do to prevent spread wash your hands and if you're sick stay home okay you heard it from them tomorrow uh, we'll have esther okay on. 
Perfect. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.